0: Good morning. If you have your Bible, please open to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, in chapter six today. Looking uh, once again, we are in six ten through twenty, but the portion that I'll be proclaiming to you uh, today is verses eighteen through twenty. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to grab a Bible out of the pew in front of you um, and gr- turn to page six hundred and seventy-six. Six hundred and seventy-six. Just encourage you to follow along as. Uh, that's the nature of how we preach here as we preach through passages and text. And it will definitely be more beneficial to you to have the Bible open in front of you and looking down at the words uh, themselves as we move through. As you're turning there to Ephesians 6, 10-20, I would just make this, uh, this comment on prayer that everybody sometime in their life will attempt to pray, um, but not everybody Uh, Praise, and you'll see that I think as we move through this passage, everyone uh, uh, will attempt to pray sometime in their life. Even those that are skeptics and atheists, um, and doing researching suffering and evil this past year in my dissertation, that's one thing I discovered is everyone, I believe, will attempt to pray in their life, whether it's because something terrible has happened to you. You know, no doubt through this pandemic, many people's first prayer was God help me as they were being intubated, not knowing if they were going to be, ever wake up again after they're being put under to try to save their life. Some people will curse God. God, I hate you. That might be some people's first prayer. But everybody, sometime in their life, will attempt to pray. Uh, but not everybody prays. So if you're there, if you're in your passage today, we're going to look at, again at this great portion. I'll read... Ephesians uh, chapter 6. I'll read verses again verses 10 through 20. We've spent two weeks here and this is the last. Uh, This is really the end of the summer preaching schedule and we'll be back on a normal schedule next week back in John. So if you're there, please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word and we hear from uh, our King this morning. Ephesians 6, beginning of verse 10. Finally, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, And our portion for today. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains." that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We cannot know what prayer is until we know that life is war. That's one of my favorite John Piper quotes. We cannot know what prayer is until we know that life is war. And he said this in the context of a missions conference. Missions, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Prayer, that is what this sermon is about today. That, it's that thing that almost universally everybody will say, I should pray more, Inclu- including pastors. you probably heard George uh, as well as I. We've, we've both said it. I, I wish I prayed more. It's a thing that we all know that we should do. Um, or maybe I wish I knew how to pray better. Or I, had, I wish I had more time to pray. But in reality, we have, we have so much time to pray, don't we? But we cannot really know what prayer is and what it is for until we know what that life is war. Now you might say, what a dramatic statement. That, that's just, he just has a flair for the dramatic. Just, just a, a dramatic statement to draw attention. Well, I don't think so, because really all that statement catches and, and kind of puts in a nice little pithy statement is the doctrine that's found here in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, that the Christian life is war. Re- remember the context of the book. It helps us, right? If we want to know what a sentence means, if we want to know what he's getting at when he tells us to pray at all times in the Spirit, we need to know what 10 through 20 means, don't we? And if we want to know what 10 through 20 means, we need to know how that fits in the context of the letter. And so as we haven't preached through the whole letter to this point, uh, just refresh your memory on, on Ephesians. Ephesians begins in chapter 1 with this like super high theology, big God theology that God has saved us, and He lays it out in a Trinitarian formula. He talks about the predestination of God and the grace of God, which He lavishes upon us, and how the Son is to be praised in His dying to redeem His people, and how the Spirit applies that work to us, sealing us, and He's the promise. And then he moves into telling us, I really want you to know the power of God at work toward you. How amazing the power of God is toward you. It's the same power that raised Christ from the grave. That is the power that raised you from your spiritually dead state, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, right? But God is rich in his mercy. He's raised us in Christ and He seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. He wants you to be in awe of the grace of God and his power toward you. But then he begins to kind of talk about how this miraculous gospel is bringing together peoples that would never be together. Jew and Gentile have been brought together, these people that would hate each other in the world. God has made one new man to them through Christ. But then he wants you to know how to live in the church, right? So he elaborates on the church. That's where he goes next, kind of the blessings and the grace of God and all that he's given in teachers and preachers. And so he elaborates on that. Then he says in chapter 4, this kind of amazing statement, that he wants us to live a life worthy of the calling by which we've been called. So he's like, look, there's God's grace toward you. Now you've been called out of the world and saved by grace, and now you've got to live like it. Now here's how you live like that. Right? And he kind of elaborates on some things there. And then he comes to chapter 6. And at the end of the letter, he uses the words, finally, in verse 10. Finally. Now, finally, be strong in the Lord. Then this section. This section tells us how we are to obey living worthy of the calling by which we've been called. And the whole context of it is he says, look, this is all amazing what God has done for you. But now you've got to realize one thing. You've been called out of the world and you're now at war. (laughs) And and most people, they'll be like, "I, I didn't know there was a war going on. And Paul tells us, you're in a war whether you wanted to be or not. There is a war going on that's been going on since the garden, the very beginning. Remember when the fall took place in the garden? And the world was plunged into despair, and evil and suffering spread to all men. And God made a promise then that He was going to crush the head of the servant through the seed of the woman. And the whole Bible unfolds according to this conflict. There is a conflict between God's promised seed, who, as the Bible unfolds, we see as Christ. But it's the story of conflict and war. Now, we enter into this great conflict after... God has fulfilled this great promise that Christ has come. He's died for sinners. He rose from the dead, conquering death. He crushed the serpent's head. But we live post that. And this war is still raging, right? He's like... Uh, I think George said this before, and I don't know where he heard it, but I like it. But he's like a uh, like a criminal that is about to be captured, and he just goes on a crime spree. right? Or you could think he's someone who's... Been mort- Like an animal that's been mortally wounded will just thrash about. And it's pretty dangerous if you approach, right? You just better to stand back. Well, we're in this time and we live in a reality that we often deny it's a spiritual reality. And that's what this passage tells us. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness... Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, and that these are, headed, these are headed up by the evil one, Satan, that there's a real enemy, wants to destroy your life and destroy your soul who hates Christ and hates his church, and this battle is raging all around us, right? And that's what he's getting at. So, Piper's not being dramatic. Your life is literally war, we just fall into a slumber or pretend it's not. And so the way this passage kind of breaks down, there's one main command. And that command is to stand firm, which is a militaristic command. It would, it would bring to mind in Paul's day the phalanx. You guys know what a phalanx is? You've probably seen it in old Roman movies or, or movies about the Greek soldiers. They interlock their shields and spears and they make like this, almost like a turtle, right? An impenetrable Force, if it's done right. That's standing firm. Stand firm against the devil, his schemes, the powers of darkness that are all around, seeking to trip us up, to deceive. Now, serving that general main command, there are really three other commands. And we went through two of these last time we were together. And those, those were the call to valor and the call to arms. The call to valor is right there. You see it in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Now, these commands really reveal to us our weakness for this battle, but the sufficiency of Christ to equip His people for the battle. Because we're not called, hey, there's a war going on. You better just reach down inside yourself and make yourself strong. Right? You look a little shaky right now. Better find your bravery, he tells us, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. That Christ is powerful, He's strong, He's totally sufficient, and His people are to be strengthened in Him. And then he tells us uh, to equip this armor of God, the call to valor, the call to arms. Put on this armor of God. Again, it's not your armor, it's armor given to you by God, emphasizing your insufficiency, but His sufficiency... We went through those last time. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes made ready by the gospel, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. The last command which serves the main command to stand, that equips us to stand, is the call to prayer. And that's what we're looking at today. The call to prayer. And in this call to prayer today, if you're taking notes, there's going to be three components to Paul's call, call to prayer. So three components to Paul's call to prayer that will empower us to pray. There's the call to prayer itself, the call to keep alert for your prayers, and the call to pray for others. And it's my purpose today that you would see in this prayer, or that you would see in this text, how vital prayer is to the Christian life. How vitally important. It's irreplaceable. It's a discipline that every Christian must pursue and the only thing that will actually equip us to stand firm, to equip this armor and to be strengthened in Christ. So today let's look at these these kind of three components of Paul's call for us to pray. So number one, there's the call to pray in itself. The call to pray in itself. Verse 18... Prayer is given this great place of prominence. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. We are in a war, and we've been called to be strengthened in Christ, to put on the armor. Now, pray. And it seems like such a simple thing. What is it? What is prayer? It's simply communication with God. It's communicating with God. Now, the term all, right? Praying at all times with all prayer and supplication. And then the, the, two, the two phrases, prayer and supplication. There's no need to split hairs like, hey, are these different kinds? Like, what's he getting at? It's kind of a repetitive synonym in the original. And I think what is happening is he's emphasizing how important prayer is. All prayer and all kinds of prayer. So whenever you pray of all kinds of prayer, here's what it's to be like and here's what, it's, what you're to do. Acts is kind of a, a, a way to remember the different kinds of prayer. If you were listening close, you heard George in his prayer. He kind of hit all of these. A-C-T-S. You've heard that? Acts. Adoration. That's where you are praying to God for how great He is and how wonderful He is. You're praising Him. Confession. You're laying before Him your insufficiency and your sin, seeking forgiveness. There's thanksgiving for what He's done, and He's done so many great things. There's supplications where you you are requesting of God, God, I need you, I need this, I'm in trouble. There's different kinds. So that's what Paul is getting at. He's emphasizing the importance of praying at all times in all kinds of prayer, every kind. So no need to split hairs. Is it just supplication? Is it just request? It's all prayer. That's what he's getting at. Now, here in the section, as he begins to call us to pray, there are kind of three questions that I think arise as we look at, at verse 18. What is it? What is prayer, really? A general statement is just commu- it's communicating with God, right? But what really is it, if we stop and think about it? What is prayer? How are we to pray? And when are we to pray? I think these come out. So let's kind of... Look at these, okay? What is prayer? Well, I think the statement is true. We can't really know what prayer is and what it's for unless we keep it within the context of our life being war. Your life is war. Paul is emphasizing this very point, right? He's told you in explicit terms that your life is war. Be strengthened in Christ. Get ready for this battle. Put on all of this armor so you can stand in this battle. And then, surprise, surprise. Pray. So what is it? It's, easy. it's an easy concept to understand. as just communication with God. But what is it in the context of the Christian life as war? Some have said that prayer here is the seventh piece of armor. You've probably heard that before. It may even be in your study Bible. Um, I think that's due more to, to theologians' need to make things in sevens than it is the text. You know, uh, preachers and theologians, they love for things to be tidy, and they love for things to be in sevens, because sevens is like, that's like the number of completion. But I don't think, though, I think that's stretching that metaphor of the armor too far. Prayer is not another piece of the armor. Prayer is communication. Now, what is communication in war? That's the question to ask, because that's the context he brings it up in. And what it is, is prayer is what is called in the military a force multiplier. It's something that gives personnel or equipment the ability to complete tasks greater or do greater feats than they could without that thing, right? And that's clearly what prayer is in this context. It is a force multiplier that enables the Christian to be strengthened in Christ to equip all of those pieces of armor, and to stand. Without prayer, we don't stand a chance to do what Paul asked us to do. But with prayer, this great force multiplier, we're enabled by the Spirit to answer this call to valor and to the call to this battle, and to stand. Prayer is the logistical Support lifeline of the Christian. Right? That's that's what it is. We are insufficient in and of ourselves to this task. We are facing an enemy that is not flesh and blood, that are real persons. We emphasize that in the first sermon. These are real persons, intelligent, supernatural, with thousands of years of experience of dealing with us. They're interdimensional. They can apparently move into our reality. We can't move into theirs. We are woefully outnumbered in power and ability. But we have been united with Christ, and we have this great force multiplier, this logistical lifeline of prayer, right? This force multiplier, which enables us to do what God calls us to do. Napoleon Bonaparte. there's a famous quote attributed to him, but I think it's actually older than him. You know him. He's like supposedly this brilliant military strategist, the emperor. And he said this, Armies march on their bellies. Now, I think it predates him, but it's interesting to think about Because we often think about just like the battle of war. But we often fail to think about the importance of the support lifeline of logistics. And that's what he's getting at. right? You can't have an army and you can't proceed or progress or do any great feats if you've got an army starving to death. An army is only as good as its logistical supply chain. And for the Christian... We have this great supernatural connection to God through prayer. And through prayer, God perpetually empowers and nourishes His people and enables them to do what He asks them to do. So to fail to pray in this sense would be to to cut yourself off from God and to put yourself in the position to where you're insufficient for the battle where you will literally, if you fail to pray, starve yourself to death. But prayer is also strategically a force multiplier offensively. Offensively. And we need to remember this in the context of our enemies. All right, Think about it this way. They train forward observers here at Fort Sill. And a forward observer will go out forward of the front line, kind of in enemy territory. And they'll have binoculars and they have maps and they'll take their notes and they'll observe. They do what they do. They observe, right? And if they don't have a radio, right? just think of a radio. If they don't have a radio, all they could do is take notes and send like a runner back. But because we have great technology and communication and radios and even other advanced things where we can send digital messages, they're able to observe and call in hey, you know, um, we've got 300 troops in the open. We have tanks moving in the open, so they can call for fire. That's what they do. It's a pretty neat job. Hey, you, this is me. Uh, fire for effect. Grid one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. And the guy on the other end says, shot out. And here it comes, right? And that's the great force multiplier of this communication. And we have direct access to God in this battle. We're not alone in this battle. So it isn't just for our support to equip us, to build us up. It's to go on the offensive. We are praying. Praying is warfare. Right? This is prayer. Think about, it, think about it this way. That we have direct access to God. equipped for, And He will equip us for every task He asks us to do. Direct access. Right? This, is, this is prayer. And it, it's amazing to think about. We take it for granted. Right, that not only will He support us for everything, but He will equip us to take this battle to the enemy, even. Now, here's the next question. How do we pray? Well, verse 18 says, if you look at it, praying at all times in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? What does that mean? That's an interesting phrase, right? Well, first I'll tell you what it it doesn't mean. All right, that will be helpful. What does it not mean? It doesn't mean to pray in tongues, okay? I've heard that before many times. You may have as well. It's not a private prayer language, as some some people would say. Now, I know that it's not because of the text itself, because of the Bible. I'll give you two reasons why it's not that. So let's remove ourselves, first off, from our current debate between continuationists, those who would say this, maybe this is speaking in tongues, and those that would say that ceased, Let's remove ourselves from our time and place ourselves in Paul's time. Where people did speak in tongues in Paul's day. It's a gift of the Spirit. Right? Go to 1 Corinthians 12, 27-31. What we begin to see and understand is that not everyone, even when people prayed that way or spoke in tongues, not everyone had that gift. It wasn't for everyone. And Paul says, now. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Now a series of rhetorical questions where the answer is no. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess possess gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. It cannot be speaking in tongues because what Paul's asking the church in Ephesus to do and what he's asking us to do, he's asking every single Christian to do. Praying at all times in the Spirit. So it can't be praying in tongues. But secondly, there's a reason why, and it's right here in front of you. It can't be praying in tongues because he tells them to pray for specific things that they know they would be praying for. Praying for all the saints and please pray for me. And when you're praying in tongues, they are not you don't know what you're saying. So for those two reasons, it can't be that. Okay, so that's, not, that's what it's not. I hope that's clear to you. So what is praying in the Spirit? Well, the term, this exact same term comes up, in uh, Jude, Jude 1.20. If you're curious, you can look at that. Now, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. It appears to me to, that biblically, it is this. It's the only way that a fallen human can pray. Okay. To say it another way, it's the only way any human being can pray. One more way. It's the only way. Real prayer. You see, because in ourselves, we have no right or ability to come before a holy God. God is holy and perfect and righteous. We're fallen in sin. This is our natural disposition as sinners. And just like you don't have the right to go up to the White House and demand an audience with the president... Magnify that ten trillion fold. A sinner has no right to demand an audience with the king of the universe. We have no right in ourselves to go before a holy God. But the Christian, and the Christian alone, has access to God. How? How? Well, it's only because of Christ that through Christ's death for sinners like you and me, through His death, burial, and resurrection and conquering death and His promise that He and the Father have sent the Spirit. He sends the Spirit to us that the Spirit resides in us. We alone, because of Christ and the Spirit, may pray to God. And here's the amazing part. Not just some high, oh, high, benevolent, greatest being. We get to pray to God as a father. This is the amazing gift that Christ has given us. Romans eight fifteen says that we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And in Galatians four six, and you became sons. God has sent His sent the spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. There's this little story, true story, in the Gospel of John that may help you to process this and what it means that only a person may approach God through the Spirit. In John 4, Jesus encounters a sinful woman at the well. You've probably heard it as the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. And as he is talking with her and things are unfolding, you know, Jesus starts to kind of he, he kind of starts to back her into the corner, like he does. And she tries to switch topics. Like, real quick, she tries to s- switch topics. So she says to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She's a Samaritan. They don't, worship in, they don't worship in Jerusalem, right? They have their own special mountain. That goes back to the division of the northern and southern kingdom. We worship over here on this mountain, right? But you, the, you Jews, you worship in there in, in Jerusalem, That's what she's getting at. And so she says, where are people to worship? Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Okay? So let's stop for a second. There are people in the world, they are sincere in their worship, and they're worshiping fantasies. Not by true knowledge. Right? They're worshiping nothing. So that's why he says you worship what you don't even know. He says we worship what we know. And then there are other people. Think of this. They have all of the right knowledge. Right? They know all the correct theology. They've been exposed to truth their whole life. They worship incorrect truth. But they aren't really worshiping. That's what Jesus is getting at. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers, true worship, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. There is no real worship apart from the Holy Spirit. Whether it is something you have no knowledge of or you have all the right doctrine, you cannot worship God apart from the Spirit. The Spirit inspires, empowers, and makes effectual our worship. There's no real worship other than Christian worship. God does not accept the worship of anyone who comes to him. Only those redeemed by the Son and indwelt by the Spirit. And likewise, there is no prayer that is not through the Son and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Christian prayer is praying in the Spirit. what does the Spirit do when we pray? I was thinking of it like this, right? In the context of this great warfare, we're up against these persons, incredibly evil, ancient, interdimensional even, right? Angels. That's that's what we call them in the Bible, angels. I use the term as many have, interdimensional beings, because people, you ask people that, do you believe in angels? No way. Interdimensional beings? Of course. And scientifically, according to the laws of math and uh, physics, they must exist, right? They're called angels. And we, we have, we don't have access into that realm, right? Or, or do we? Have you ever seen the movie Stargate? It's kind of an old movie, Stargate. I think they made a show about it. Stargate. You ever see that Stargate show? Well, Stargate, right, it's like that, it's like a big circle a sphere and it's, it's, it's like advanced technology. And if you go through the Stargate, then like, it's like a wormhole. Boom, you're in another part of the universe. You traverse like, what's impossible to traverse. You're in another place instantly. A tear in space-time. And... The Spirit of God in the believer, in a way, is a stargate, right? Because at any time and at any place, wherever the believer is at, it doesn't matter, the Christian may stop and alone through the Spirit may be transported to the feet of the creator of the universe, to the throne room of God. Right, And that's our privilege. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that that's our privilege because we have a great and faithful high priest who has made a one-time sacrifice for his people. And because he's done that, we not can do it. We ought to do it. We ought to boldly go into that place and pray. Go before him. This is what the Spirit does for us. Right? It's amazing to think about. Additionally, the Spirit helps us when we don't even know how to pray. Haven't haven't you ever had times where you're like, I just don't even know what to say. I don't know what to pray. Maybe you're just going through a time of great difficulty and suffering, and all you can do is just get down on your knees and maybe just cry and humbly put yourself before God, but you don't even know what to say. And Paul tells us in Romans 8.26 that the Spirit helps us when we're weak like that. The Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Not that we're groaning, it's that the Spirit is groaning. The Spirit is making our prayers. He knows what we need. Verse 27, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So even when we don't know what to pray and what to ask of God, the Spirit Himself speaks to God on our behalf exactly according to the will of God, exactly what we need. It's amazing. So here it is. This is praying in the Spirit. It is simply this. It's Christian prayer. And what is that? It's praying in humble reliance upon the work of Jesus Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That we would place ourselves in that position in this warfare, right? That I am at total dependence upon Christ and his work. And total reliance upon the Spirit. This is praying in the Spirit. Now, when are we to do that? If you look back at your text, he tells you to pray at all times. Tells the Ephesians, pray at all times, and us to pray at all times. It's as if Paul is saying here that prayer is so essential to life, right? It, it is absolutely essential just to to live. That he's telling you pray at all times, and yet so many just struggle to pray at at all. Right? doesn't it seem, that in the context of how he brings it up, he has something more in mind than you setting aside a special time in your life, in your day to pray? Because he doesn't say that. Set a time, a special time in your day to pray. Though that's a good idea, isn't it? That's a great idea, and you should do that. Or even this. Set a time, a special time in your church to pray. You know, we have a pastoral prayer. That's all good, and that's great. And we have a time now on Wednesdays to pray. But it's more than that, right? I've had people call the church before or write on the uh, an email or or just talk to me in person, "Hey, is your church a praying church?" And usually what they mean by that is, do you guys have a prayer service? Right? And you can't answer yes to that. Yeah, we have a prayer service. That doesn't mean you're a praying church. Because what Paul has in mind is something more than that. Than you having a private time, than your church having special times. What he's getting at is to get you beyond that to where you begin to think of prayer in a different way altogether. It's, a, it's like a life posture is what he's going for. A life posture. That's what it is. To a place where praying for you would become as natural as like Breathing. Now, it's healthy to set aside times in your day to breathe. Did you guys know that? I learned that when I was doing my dissertation, right? I'd be sitting in there all day reading. There's no windows. I don't know what time of day it is. Who knows what time of day it is? Typing, my, my, my watch would go off, and it would say, breathe. So I'd stand up, and I would just breathe for like a straight minute, as deep a breath as I can, deep. And then, I, and then I, it's kind of crazy. But after I, that's over, it's like rejuvenation, You're like rejuvenated, like you just took a shot of espresso or something. So it's like a healthy thing to set aside times to breathe. But guess what I never stopped doing all day? Breathing, right? That is kind of, that's the aim of what Paul is getting at. It's a, this is a life posture of just being in constant communication with God. It's like, it's like drinking water. It's very healthy to set aside times to drink water every day. I'll share with you a little side story from my past. The first time I ever encountered a drill sergeant. These are the first words I ever heard. So it's Fort Benning, Georgia. That's the place where people say real basic training take place. I, I'm not trying to offend anybody. right? That's where they train infantry there. And so I'm in, still in civilian clothes. We get in a little bus, all of us. Big drill sergeant steps up, 250 probably at least. He takes up the whole front of the bus. He says, welcome to Fort Benning, Georgia. You will drink water or you will die. And we're like, what is happening? You know, and then that's how it started. We get off. Well, I mean, what he's saying is true. Somebody actually died there because it's so humid and so hot there. It's, it's crazy. And so they would, stand, they would line us up and they'd say, take your canteen out. Drink the whole thing, and we just down it, and then. But we had these little, uh, also had these little cord, and it had little beads on it, and we had to drink at least ten canteens a day on our own, right? And you better not be caught lying, or they would, they would destroy your soul. That's the only way I can put it. And so you're drinking water all day, and if literally, if you did not drink water all day, you literally might die, right? And that's how you should think in your mind about prayer. If you don't pray like Paul asked you to pray, you might die because you're in a war. So, yes, please. It's a good thing. How do we do it? Yes, set aside times throughout the day to pray. Morning, noon, evening. Matthew Henry has a whole thing written about how to do this. It's really good. You should check it out. Morning, noon, evening. It's great. But what's even Better, and I think where we should get is to where you are just in a constant fellowship with God all throughout the day, and you're just praying and and you're in communication and you're communing with God, right? That's where we need to get. Now, why is it hard to get there? Why don't we do that? Well, I think because we think about God wrong a lot, a lot of times, we think about God incorrectly, right? We have a tendency to think God is out there. And even though we might theologically know it, we slip into that. He's there. He's out there. He's not around. You know, we, uh, we were eating at some Mexican place in the middle of nowhere, like last week. And so I, I, I like, try to... Uh, to disciple my kids and it could be an odd time there might be other people around so and i'm a little bit loud so we're at the table there's other people in the restaurant so i'm like quizzing evangeline evangeline who made you and she's loud too my kids are loud god made me you know everybody in the restaurant's like what is going on over there what else did god make god made all things where is god there's a new one for her and she says far far away (laughs) <laughs> and I, I was like, well, I can see why you think that. But guess what? He's right here. And then her eyes got big. Her eyes go, he's right here. And we, we become like her throughout the week, don't we? We become just like her. He's far, far away. But we know, of course, that God's not far, far away. He's near. He's everywhere. We can't go anywhere that He's not already there. And even better, we have the Holy Spirit in us, inside of us. He's literally with us. We can't get away. You can't get away from the Spirit of God. right? He's part of you just like the blood inside your body, if you're a Christian. And if we would really remember that, it would be easier to pray all day. All throughout the day, continually, at all times. And we also forget about the war. Right? That's why. Like, so if I could come down right in front of you and like uh, pull open space time and let you poke your head through and see what is going on all around, that this is real. This is real that there are persons, supernatural persons, that have plotted your destruction. You'd pray all day. I guarantee it. But we forget these things so easily. So let us remember them. Well, how about some quick tips? How do you pray all day? Because we have plenty of time. I'd adopt Matthew Henry's model morning, noon, and evening. Just set it aside, five minutes. That's it, five minutes. But also throughout the day. How about how about this one? What about when you're just driving to work? How about you just turn the radio off and turn turn your podcast off? Just turn it off. Drive for ten minutes with the radio off, talking to God. Right? What about walking to school when you're at school, walking in between classes, back and forth at school, instead of talking to your friends about whatever does it matter eternally just walk for a minute and talk with God when you're doing the dishes or when you're taking a shower right turn off your podcast or music or just have time alone with God you can literally do it anytime mowing the grass which I hate and my prayers are literally like Lord have mercy on me (laughs) and just pray to God While you're mowing the grass, it can literally be any time. How about when you wake up, instead of rolling out of bed and grabbing your phone, just stop and say, God, thank you for keeping me alive while I slept. Right? You have so much time where you can literally just talk to God all day. And it's a great privilege. We alone have this privilege of all the people of the face of the earth. To go before God and talk to Him and pray. That's the call in itself to pray. What time is it? Anybody know? I feel like it's going. I'm going long again, George. Well, quickly. That's the call and pray in itself. Number B, or, or the second. The call to keep alert for prayer. Now, for all you language people out there, like, like George, this section contains 10 through 20. There's two, there's two participles here. Uh, 18. Praying, that's a participle. What's a participle? It's a word um, that is used to modify, in this case, the general command, which is to stand, right? That's a general command, stand. Now, what supports that? Praying. See how verse 18 was praying. The second here is translated as, uh, in our text, something like uh, keeping alert, it means watching. Praying and watching. They support the general command to stand. So keeping alert or watching. That's the call to keep alert for the sake of your prayers. He's saying, don't get sleepy. Don't fall into a slumber and think everything is safe. Where you can just kind of go through life on autopilot and coast. Don't do that. Keep alert. Remember, you're in a war. Don't get complacent. Keep alert for the sake of your prayers. He's calling the fe- Ephesians to this life posture. This life posture. Don't, now that you're a Christian, don't just coast. Don't just coast along through life. Right? Don't be comfortable. We're not just passive passengers on the providence of God. right? We're not passive. We're called to be active. Don't be passive. Be active. Be vigilant. Stay awake. Be alert. Why? There's a war going on. Don't forget about it. Keep alert for the sake of your prayers. Now, we can see a literal example of this quickly in the Gospel of Mark. If we had time, we could turn there, but I'll just summarize it for you. Jesus is about to be betrayed, and He asks His disciples to stay awake. Stay awake with me and pray. Right? And the term that is used is the exact same term that Paul uses here for watching or to stay alert. So Jesus goes and prays. He comes back and Peter's asleep and he's like, what are you doing? I asked you to stay awake, right? To watch. to wa-, And the phrase is watch and pray. That's the term Jesus uses. I asked you to watch and pray. And that's a great example because we're just like Peter. God asks us here to stay alert, to watch and pray. And we're so prone, aren't we, just to coast through life, to fall into some slumber like this isn't going on all around us. And that's the call. Watch and pray. Don't get sleepy. Persevere through life. Alert. So it's a different way of living, right? That's what he's calling you to Wake up every day and live your life on purpose. On purpose. So many people are prone just to wake up and just live. Wake up and live your life on purpose for Christ. Alert. Aware. You see what he's getting at? You must actively pursue God every day or you'll fall asleep like Peter. Pursue him in his word and and in prayer and in constant prayer. It's a life posture. So there's the call to pray in itself. There's the call to keep alert for prayers. Then there's the call to pray for others. Look Look back at your text and you'll see it. In verse 18... We're called to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. For all the saints. This is very practical. Some might say, well, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to pray for. Here's a practical tip. Just get a list of the church members. Take a couple every day and pray for them. Right? Pray for all of them by name. Pray for their children. Pray for their marriages. Pray for their public witness in the world. Pray for their perseverance. Pray that they would be bold for the gospel. Pray for their protection because there's a war going on. It's very practical. If you don't have a list of the church members, we'll get you one. We'll send it out in email or through Facebook. And take a couple each day. And if you were to do that, you'd find yourself praying a lot. You'd find yourself praying a lot. But it's not just for our church members, right? It's for all the saints. So you could literally pray for all the Christians in Lawton. And in Oklahoma. And not just all the Reformed Christians either. Like some of y'all might be prone to do. I'm just kidding. It's for all the saints, right? Pray for all of them. Whether they align with you theologically perfectly or not. You're praying for all the saints. They're in this war with us. And not just in in Oklahoma, literally around the world. Think of all the Christians that are, are, are honoring Christ in ways you'll never know. We'll never know. The pressure's on them to deny Christ. They're persevering. They've been arrested. Pray for all the saints. You could literally spend your whole week only praying for all the saints. And then you'd find out, man, I haven't prayed for myself at all. But hopefully somebody else in the church has been praying for you. And in this way, your prayers become very selfless. And they become very... Gospel-oriented, which is what Paul asks them to do next when he says, and please pray for me. He says, I'm an ambassador in chains. And that's ironic because in this day and time, in Paul's day and time in the Roman Empire, to put an ambassador in chains would be an absolute travesty, right? It would be like, like an act of war. If, if, if your descendant ambassador from an, like another country sends an ambassador and you to put him in chains and throw him in jail... And that's, that's Paul. He's an ambassador for Christ. He's in chains. He's chained up in jail. And these are like real hardcore prisons that you, know, you don't eat unless somebody brings you food. Uh, maybe some prisoner stole your clothes. Well, the guards don't care. So you just might be naked and cold. And think about this. He literally does not know if he's getting out. And when he goes for his trial, if he's going to be put to death, he doesn't know any of that. Like that's all on the table. He doesn't know, am I going to get up and you know uh, go talk to the guard and am I going to get shanked in the back by some guy who hates Jesus? He doesn't know any of that. Are there corrupt guards who someone's going to tell that, them that Paul denies the Romans' gods and is he going to kill me? right? And what is he asked to be prayed for? It'll really make you think differently about how you pray when you realize all he prays for is that he would be bold with the gospel. Just pray for me that when the time comes, I would be bold and open my mouth to proclaim the gospel as I ought to. Doesn't that just reorient the way you think about the things that we pray for in this world? and we talked about providence earlier in this class and I think if we really understood providence we would worry a lot less and we would probably pray a lot less for the things we pray for because we know God just takes care of those things for his people if he takes care of birds he's going to take care of us and then we could get to praying for things like this I know I was convicted by it when I I saw that how little do our prayers often reflect that He cares nothing for his comfort or his safety or that he even gets out of jail. Pray that I get out of jail? Nope. Pray that when I go before these magistrates, I boldly preach the gospel. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, these are the three components to Paul's call to prayer that I think will empower us to pray the call to pray in itself, the call to keep alert for prayer, and the call to pray for others. Why pray? Why pray all the time? Why pray all the time in all our prayers in the Spirit and be alert, vigilant for all the saints? Why do it? Because you're in a war and you're insufficient for this task. But God has given us this gift of direct communication to Him, the support that we need the support, and the promise that he'll meet every need of ours if we would just pray. So pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And what a great privilege it is to be able to come before you. Help us to remember that, to stand in awe of the fact that you have called sinners out of this world and transformed them. Given them the righteousness of Jesus Christ and that you call us to pray, that you want us to pray, that you want us to come before you like a loving father would love to talk to his children. You call us to yourself like that. Help us to stand in awe and wonder at the fact that we can at any time, at any place, We can just shut our eyes, and there we are, right before you. And you're ready to hear us and to equip us for these difficult things that you've called us to do in this world. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for all that he's done on our behalf. And I pray, God, that your people would pray. In Jesus' name, amen.